What next? If we are all guilty before a holy God, what next? Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. I heard a story not so long ago about a little boy. He was getting ready for his kindergarten graduation. He didn't know how to tie a tie, so he was standing very patiently as his dad was tying his tie. He looked up at his dad, though, and he said, Dad, after I graduate from kindergarten, what next? His dad said, well, son, after kindergarten graduation, you're going to enjoy a summer break, and then you're going to begin elementary school, and you're going to do just like your brother and sister and graduate from elementary school. He said, you mean at the end of elementary school, I'm going to graduate again? And his dad said, yes, son, after elementary school, you will graduate once again. He thought for a moment, and he said, okay, dad, what next? His dad said, well, after elementary school graduation, you'll go off to middle school, and then you'll graduate again. And the little boy said, okay, Dad, what next? He said, well, after middle school graduation, you're going to go off to high school. And after four years, you're going to graduate again. The little boy thought for a minute, and he said, that's an awful lot of graduations, Dad. What next? And dad said, well, after high school, we hope that you're going to go to college like your mother and I did and get a degree so that you can get a good job. If not, you'll go straight into the workforce, get you a good job, and begin to make money and build your own home. And he said, okay, dad, I understand that, but what next? Dad said, well, after you get your own home and you have this good job, it's very likely that you're going to find a beautiful young lady inside and out, and that you two will get married and you'll start your own families. Little boy, mind you, is in kindergarten. He thought for a moment, (laughs) Dad said, don't worry about it, son. As you get older, those little girls will no longer have cooties. They'll start becoming cuties. You will definitely want to find you a young lady to spend your life with kind of like I did with your mom. And he thought his mom was wonderful, loved his mom. He thought, okay, Dad, I can see that. So if I'm going to get married one day, like you and Mom, and have children and have a family, what next? Just prior to this graduation, they had lost the father's mother, the little boy's grandmother. So he Even though he didn't know a lot about death, he understood that grandma was no more and that she would not be coming back. So dad thought for a moment and he said, son, after you grow old, older than me, like your grandmother, eventually you will die. We all will die. Little boy thought for a moment. He remembered the funeral. He remembered the crying and the fact that grandma had never returned. And he looked at his dad very inquisitively, and he said, Dad, what next? Dad thought for a moment, took a deep breath, and answered the best way that he knew how. He was not a man of faith, 
and not a man with hope. And he said, son, I'm really not sure what is next. You know, I feel like the audience the Apostle Paul was writing to in Romans was a lot like the dad. They did not understand what is next. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Bill's been teaching us through the first three chapters leading up to about verse 20. He stopped just shy of verse 20. And in those first few chapters, he's reminding us, he reminded us what Paul was saying to the church at Rome and those who would read this letter. One of the first things he said was that righteousness is demanded, that God demands righteousness. And then after he established this fact, that righteousness is what God demands, he said that the Gentiles were guilty, that the Gentiles were unrighteous, that they could not be righteous in and of themselves. And then he said to the Jews, his brethren, his own family, he said, and the Jews are guilty. The Jews are unrighteous. The Gentiles, the Jews, stand without excuse before a holy God that demands righteousness. The last thing he said in the early verses in Romans chapter 3 is he said the whole world is guilty. Pastor Bill reminded us what Paul said long ago. God searched the whole world over and found no one righteous. No, not even one. Paul certainly expected that the crowd would be saying, what next? What next? If we are all guilty before a holy God, what next? There we find ourselves today listening in as Paul addresses that question. The passage we're going to look at today has been coined by many one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest expositors of the 20th century, wrote this. These verses, the ones that we'll look at today, are the greatest verses in the entire Bible concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, who sparked the Protestant Reformation, the one that God used so that we could understand the gospel today, refers to the doctrine of justification, which Paul explains in our text this day. He said the doctrine of justification is the watershed truth that separates the true gospel from the false gospel. If we want to understand what's next, we must understand this passage. J.I. Packer, a pastor in our day, has written, this is the mighty atlas that up upholds the entirety of the gospel. He was making reference to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24 answers the question, what is next? Here's how it reads in the New International Version. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between the Jew or the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together just for a moment. Father, thank you for this critical passage tucked away in Romans 3. May you open it up for us today that we would understand this doctrine of justification and how it can apply to our life so that we do not have to fear what is next. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, this day, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As Paul explains this doctrine of justification, justification is a legal term. It is where a judge would declare someone innocent. In some cases, some would stand in for one because they themselves were guilty. And this is the picture we get in the New Testament. As Paul explains this doctrine of justification and how it would apply to our life. Remember again, he just built the premise that God declares righteousness, that the Gentiles were unrighteous, that the Jews were unrighteous, that the whole world is guilty. That includes you and me. So we need justification. Someone says that we can define justified as just as if I had never sinned. This is what Paul was saying that we can have in Christ. And he explains it with four important things. So if we understand these four things, we can appropriate justification to our life and stand before the Lord God as righteous. Please understand these. The first thing we see in this passage is God's plan. God's plan. It's clear in the passage that God's plan is that we would be righteous and that this righteousness cannot be earned. Where do you see that, Sean? Look with me in verse 21, back in the text. But now, Paul says, right where we are, now that we've understand that God declares that everyone should be righteous, or they cannot be right, they cannot be in a relationship with him, that the Jews are guilty, the Gentiles are guilty, the whole worlds are guilty. Now that we understand this, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So God's plan is that you and I would be in a right relationship with Him. God desires that you would know Him personally in an intimate relationship in this life with the promise of walking with Him in the life to come in this real place that we call heaven. God desires that I would know this relationship personally that it wouldn't be a far-off abstract thing. It would be something that we would intimately know and we would progressively get to know him deeper and deeper, as Paul wrote about in Philippians 3. And he says in this opening verse of our passage that it cannot be earned. He says, but now this righteousness, righteousness, we could define as a right relationship with God. He says this right relationship with God is apart from the law, which means that we cannot earn it. We cannot do anything in and of ourselves to gain this relationship. And Paul says this is not new. Paul was actually confessing in this part that he had missed it for years. Because Paul had recently just come to Christ. And Paul said the law, which would be the first five books of the Bible and the prophets, this would be the rest of the Old Testament, which was all he had as scripture in that day. 
He said the law and the prophets. So for Paul, he was saying the Bible, we would call it the Old Testament. He says the law and prophets teach of this. They point to this, that to be right with God is something that you cannot earn. It's not based on your own effort. It's not based on your, mo- your own merit. Dr. G. Morgan Campbell, a great pastor of past centuries, was teaching this very doctrine of justification. That God's plan that we would be righteousness was not something that we could earn. He was teaching it to a coal miner, a man who worked with his hands, a man who worked hard, a man who everything that he possessed was because of the work of his hands. He was sharing this very truth that we could be right with God and it was not based on our own effort. And this man had such a difficult time understanding this doctrine of justification that we could be right before God because of Jesus and not of ourselves. He was so struggling. He said, it just sounds too easy. Dr. Morgan knew that the coal miner did not crawl down into the mine every day and then climb out. He knew that it was much too deep and much too high of a climb out for one man to be able to do. If he were to even attempt it, he would not be able to perform his duties because he would be so worn out. So there was an elevator shaft that would actually take the miners down into the mine and then bring them up out of the mine. They would actually do nothing. They would just be on the elevator, and the elevator would transport them down at the end of the day, would transport them up. Understanding this, Dr. Morgan looked at the coal miner, and he said, how did you get into the mine this morning, and how did you exit the mine at the end of your day's work? He said, well, that's simple. I just got on the elevator. Dr. Morgan looked at him and said, is that not too easy? And a light clicked on for the coal miner that day, and he understood that to be right with God, he simply needed to come to Jesus. And this is what Paul is teaching in justification. If we want to live just as if we had never sinned and be right before God, we first must understand that this righteousness is available apart from the law. It's not something that we can earn. We also must must understand it's something that we all need. So the second thing in the passage, there's not only God's plan, but there's also man's problem. Paul's already made this clear, but in in these few verses, he really captures this idea. Starting in verse 22, the second half of the verse, into verse 23, he says there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. In other words, there's no difference between anyone on the face of the planet that's ever lived, that's living, or that ever will live, because we're all either a Jew or we're not a Jew. He says there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we stand before God left to ourselves based on our own efforts, our own merits, our own accomplishments, our own life, we will perish one day forever, separated from God in a real place called hell. God's plan is that we be in a right relationship. We walk with him in this life with the hope of heaven in the next. But Paul says not only does God have a plan, man has a problem, and that is that we've sinned. You know, I've met so many in my life, and I've asked Numerous people over the course of about 27 years since I've been a believer. If you were to die today, do you believe you'd spend eternity in a real place called heaven or a real place called hell? 
And I've had a number of people, a large number of people say, I think I would go to heaven. And my next question is, why do you believe that? And they say, you know, when it's all, they, they obviously have used different words, but they have the same sentiment. They say, you know, when it's all said and done at the end of my life, I believe there'll be a set of scales. And my good will be in one side of the scale and my bad will be on the other side of the scale. And I just believe that my good is going to outweigh my bad. And God will say, come on in. You did a pretty good job. Friends, I want you to know what Paul is saying here is that if we depend even on our best efforts, we will bust hell wide open. See, God has a plan, and that's that we would be in a right relationship with him, but we have a problem, and because of our problem, there is no amount of good that we can do to erase the sin in our life. Now, I've had some that have actually said, I don't believe that I've ever sinned. Then they say, I'm not perfect, but I've never sinned. And I say, what are you even talking about? Please understand this. Sin, as defined in the Bible, three different words that mean sin. And if you take all three of them and understand what all three say together, it means anything that offends God. And we've all offended God in one way, shape, or form. Whether it be in our thoughts, whether it be in something we failed to do, or in something that we did that wasn't right. As a matter of fact, consider these questions right where you are on your couch, in your living room, at the table, right where you are on the planet, consider these questions. Have you ever told a lie? Now remember, a lie is anything that's not true. Even if it was just, we, we call them white lies, not exactly sure why, because a lie is a lie is a lie. But even if we've not fully told the truth, then we've actually told a lie. I think if I said, hey, raise your hand right where you are, and we were able to look into your home at this moment, we would all be raising our hands. I know I'm raising mine. I, I raised both of them. There have been moments in my life where I've just simply not told the truth because it was easier to tell a lie. Sometimes we might withhold the truth for fear that the truth might hurt someone. But friends, please understand, we all fall in this category. Second question, have you ever cheated? I know if we would be honest, we've all cheated. Whether it was we took somebody's extra candy when they weren't looking, we withheld something from someone knowing that they needed it, and we cheated them out of what was rightly theirs, or we cheated on a test, we cheated, oh, my board games. In this social uh, distancing from one another where we're physically not supposed to be in contact, We've had to be in our homes with our families for quite a bit. And even in our home, we've been playing some games. We've been playing cards. We've been playing other board games. And I, I not only like to win, I don't like to lose. I, I don't like to lose so much that I have to confess there are moments in time where I, I'll say I've probably cheated. Well, if, if we're being honest today, I would say I have cheated. I think if I said, if you ever cheated, raise your hand, I believe you would all raise your hand. Now, based on just those two, which are commandments in the Bible that we wouldn't lie and that we wouldn't cheat, just based on those two, I'm speaking to all over the world right now a bunch of lying cheaters, which I am one as well. The Bible says that we've all sinned. 
and fall short of the glory of God. So much so that before we ever came to be, the psalmist says, surely I was sinful even at birth. As we were being knit together in our mother's womb, we were born, being put together in flesh, in sin. Romans 5, Pastor Bill will get to it in a couple of weeks. It says that death entered the, sin entered the world, their death came through Adam, and because of Adam, all are born spiritually dead, which means we're born in our sin. No one escapes. We all are guilty. God's plan, a right relationship, man's problem, yours and mine, we've all offended God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in this verse and shows us that God has a remedy. Just as we have a problem, God has a remedy, and his name is Jesus. Look at verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace. Right where you are, with your family, with your friends, whomever you're watching this with, everybody say grace. Yes, grace. Thank you for that. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. This is the idea of being purchased back that came by Jesus Christ. Grace. It's by grace because of Jesus. It's by grace because of Jesus. It's not what we can do. It's what he did for us. All of the world's religions, apart from Christianity, teach that we must, be, we must do something to be right with God. That's why I like to say religion is spelled D-O. Man is to do this, to do this, and not to do this, and not to do that, to be right with God. Where Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Everything that needs to be done to be right with God has been done in the sacrificial life the sacrificial death, and the subsequent resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son, the Son of God, left heaven and came to earth and died a brutal death. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. And he hung on that cross, not because he deserved it, but because you deserved it and I deserved it. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. His great love for us. So he paid the price. And then he was buried in the grave as the Bible predicted would happen. And then he was raised from the dead declaring that your sins could be forgiven and mine could be. It's because of grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. The ability to be right with God comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. Let me explain it with a simple, earthly story. Some years ago, I heard a story about a professor of physics. He was preparing his students for the final exam. Most of these students were failing the entire semester, and their grade hinged on this one exam. This professor was known to be the most difficult in all of the schools, so difficult that they were scared and believed that a normal review would not be enough to help them pass the exam. One guy threw his hand up. The professor said, yes, sir. He said, would you allow us to have an open book test? The professor said, absolutely not. And he continued the review. A few minutes later, the young man's hand went back up again. He said, would you do something? There's no way we can pass this test on our own. We need your help. 
professor thought for a moment. He said, I've never done this in the 30 years that I've been teaching in the science department. But here's what I'll do. I'll allow you to use a single sheet of paper. You take this home and you put anything on it that you want. You bring it back and you take the exam. But if you agree to this, the review is over. And they all said, yes, <laughs> we'll sign up for that because your review is not going to help us. We need help beyond that. The guy that had raised his hand, raised his hand one last time and said, are you telling me we can put anything on this paper? He said, that's the only rule I have. One sheet of paper, anything on it, it's the only rule. If you will obey this rule, you should do well on the test. And he ended the class. Over the next few days, people would get their eight and a half by 11 plain sheet of paper and they would get their physics books and they would write equations. They would write definitions. They would put chapter and verse from side to side, top to bottom, front and back. But not the other guy, the one that raised his hand. He had a different plan. So the day of the exam, they all rushed into the class, people with their piece of paper. You could not see white on the paper. There was so much writing except for the young man. You could see white everywhere, for it was blank. Everybody else was in the class. There was a couple of minutes before he would shut the door and administer the exam. The guy was standing at the head of the classroom. He would look out the front doors to the lecture hall into the parking lot and then he would look back at the clock he would look out and then he would look back at the clock and he said oh no my plan may have backfired so he walks in the class with about a minute to spare and he sits down dejected with a blank sheet of paper on his desk and just before the professor would shut the door this older gentleman walks in the back the young man heard the gentleman walk in and he looked to the back of the classroom and there it was his big brother, his big brother was the head of the science department at a neighboring university. He smiled and waited for his big brother to come up, the professor watching every step his colleague would take, thinking all the while, what is he doing? And then the little brother at the front of the classroom took his blank sheet of paper, set it right beside his desk, and he motioned to his big brother to stand on that piece of paper. And his big brother stood on that piece of paper, and his feet fit perfectly. The professor then looked at this man, his colleague, the head of the science department at a neighboring university, and then at that student, and realized he had been duped. But he was well within the rules. So he gave a nod of approval. And when the young man began his test, he looked at the first question and then looked up to his brother and said, I need help. And then he looked at the second question and looked at his brother and said, I need help. Every question, every definition, every equation, he would look up to his brother and say, I need help. And his brother would look down and say, don't worry about it. I got this one. Don't worry about it, I got this one. Don't worry about it, I got this one until he took the entire exam for the little brother. For if the little brother had taken it himself, he would have failed. A few days later, they came back to get their grades and many of the people in the class made grades that were less than desirable. 
but not this young man. When he picked up his examination, he had a 100, an A+. He had passed everything, answered every question directly, every equation directly. He did not miss a single thing. Or did he? Technically, he did. Technically, he made a zero. He didn't answer a single thing. He couldn't. He was inable, incapable. But according to the rules, his brother stepped in, took the test for him, so his brother's grade was applied to his exam in a similar way. This is what Paul is saying. God's plan is that you would be right, but you can't be based on your own effort. Because you've sinned just like I've sinned. And because of that, God sent someone to take the exam for us. And his name is Jesus. As Jesus stands in the gap, it's just as if we had never sinned. We can be justified. We can be right with God. Fourth and last thing. Paul shows us we must know God's plan is that we would be right with him. But we have a problem and it's sin that God's remedy is Jesus. But the fourth thing is our response. Man must respond. Man's response for justification to be applied can be none other than faith. Look in Romans 3 and 22, the first part of the verse. Paul says, this righteousness, the one that comes from God, this righteousness is given through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is but one way to be forgiven of sin. There is but one way to be right with God. There is but one way to walk in this life, even in such uncertain times as today, and walk with peace that the Bible says transcends the human mind. And that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon confession that Jesus is God and belief that he died for us and was raised from the dead, that we could be free of sin, begin a relationship with God and have the home of heaven. Upon confession of this, God promises that we would have peace. Even in the midst of storm, like what we're going through right now, and that although at times we might feel isolated from others, we can sense His presence and rest in the closeness that comes from knowing Him personally. And we can have hope that if we did not make it through this day, that we would be with Him in a real place called heaven. See, the time that we're living in has reminded us more than maybe recently that we really do not know what a day holds. But Paul reminds us in Romans 3, 21 through 24, that we can know the one that holds the day. And when we know him, regardless of what takes place, we're going to be okay. For Paul reminded us in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We can have peace here 
in the midst of storm and the promise over there. How do we get this peace? Man's response must be faith. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Please understand as we prepare to close the message part of our time today. That faith is not simply an intellectual assent. For many acknowledge that Jesus lived. Many acknowledge that the Bible is God's word. Some would even say that Jesus is the Son of God, but yet still not know Him. Because faith is more than an intellectual assent. It's an actual complete surrender of one's life to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the best earthly stories I've ever heard portray what faith really looks like, biblical faith, what it means to really believe, not like the demons in James 2, 19. It says the demons believe and they shudder. And we know demons and the devil aren't saved. We know they're not in a right relationship with God, but they know Jesus is Jesus. So what does it mean to really believe? In the 1850s, there was a French tightroper named Charles Blondin. He became world-renowned. His fame just went off the charts in 1859 when he made his way to the United States and suspended a tightrope across the gorge of Niagara Falls. And then he would walk across that tightrope. Remember, if he falls, he falls to his death. He would make his way across and make his way back. And as I've read this story numerous times, he would then take a wheelbarrow. And he would push it across, and he would push it back. And with crowds suspended on each side of the gorge, he would ask the question, how many of you believe that I can put somebody in this wheelbarrow and push him across? And the crowds would go, yeah, yeah. He said, let me ask again, how many of you believe that I can push somebody across? And they would go, yeah. He said, who would volunteer to get in? And no one would make a sound. And then he would nod over to his manager, Harry Colcord, who would make his way out, putting his life in Blondin's hands. He would get in the wheelbarrow. And Blondin very carefully would push Harry across the Niagara Gorge and very carefully spin around and push him back across to safety. So when the question was asked, how many of you believe? Everybody said yes. But when it came time for their footwork to match their faith, only one really believed. Over these past several days, couple of weeks, We've been reminded of our mortality. Friend, I want you to know that death is sure. And the Bible says that sin is the cause. But Paul reminds us today that Christ is the cure. We can experience life in whatever time God gives us here. And the promise of eternal life if we would truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And please understand, this salvation is available to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever would believe, that's you, that's me, that's anyone. The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come 
to repentance. I love 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Before I pray, let me ask this question. Mom, dad, friend, children, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally? This is, the, this is the crux of the message. This is what Paul's been building for in the first three chapters. And then he comes and he says, hey, you have to be right before God. And there's only one way to be right. And it's not based on your effort. You've sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned. God sent Jesus. Do you believe in him? Have you ever placed your faith in him? My birthday is February 19th, 1970. I'm 50 years old. Spiritually speaking, it's October the 29th, 1992. That makes me about 27 years old, I believe. I know you know your birthday, but have you been born again? Friend, if you're not sure, I want to encourage you this day to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you would do this, I would love for you to write into Pastor Bill, who's online right now, say, Pastor Bill, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Or if you need help, say, Pastor Bill, I need help. Look, we'll call you. We'll email you. We'll text you. We'll contact you in whatever way that you need us to contact you. Because this is not just life or death. This is eternal life or eternal death. And eternity is too long to be wrong. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us more than we can comprehend. Thank you that even though you demand righteousness and it's impossible for us to be right, in and of ourselves, that you made it possible that in Christ we could be right. We could begin a relationship with you. Experience peace even in the midst of uncertain times in this life. And that we can have the promise when this life ends, whenever it might be, that we could be with you in a real place called heaven. God, I pray for anyone young or old alike, anyone in between, that can hear my voice at this moment that's never surrendered their life to you. If they understand, would you touch their heart and press upon them to cry out to you today? Friend, there's no magic in these words, but if the words represent your heart, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If that is your desire and you sense God tugging at your heart, say something like this, God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending him to live the life that I could never live. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross and paying the price I could never pay. God, thank you for raising him from the dead, showing that my sins could be forgiven. And that I could begin a relationship with you and have the promise of a home in heaven. God, please forgive me. Give me a brand new life. And help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to understand that there's no magic in the prayer. But if it represented the desire of your heart, the Bible teaches that you're saved. I'd love for you to let us know because it's important that we don't just make a decision, but we become a disciple. We want to help you walk in this new decision. Let us know. Text us. Call us. 
Hit us up on Facebook, whatever social media platform. Just get in touch with us and say, I made that decision today so that we can help you walk in this new decision. Friend, if you are reassured of your salvation today and know that God loves you with an everlasting love and that your home is heaven and you're walking in peace, share this with somebody. As we are physically disconnected from one another, stay socially connected through your social platforms. Connect with someone and say, God loves you and so do I. Let me help you understand this and interact with them in whatever medium you can to communicate the truth in this passage today. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.